0: Hello everyone, it is great to have you again on Then Again with the Northeast Georgia History Center, bringing you another podcast, although, you know, I'm a little hungry.
1: I'm also hungry. It's almost it, lunchtime.
0: It is almost lunchtime. We were thinking, why should we do this podcast on, and then we realized we're hungry. <gasps> why don't we talk about interpreting food ways?
1: Yes.
0: Because food is something we all take for granted. Mm-hmm. We all always eat, and only recently in the last 10 years have historic food ways become almost a growth industry in... historic research and interpretive sites. People are getting their PhDs in this stuff now. Williamsburg has hired several apprentice and master, well, I don't know if you call them master chefs, but people who are deeply steeped in a variety of different cultural food histories, right? The food of the enslaved, the food of the middling class, the food of the elites, and and how those are prepared and things like that. Marie, one of the great things about Marie, before we even hired her here as the Director of Education, she would come often and volunteer with us, prepare different foods for different periods, right, Marie?
1: I did, and it was so fun. You let me cook in the cabin a few times, and also then on the fire in the back of the cabin when it gets too hot to cook in the actual cabin. And also depending on what dish I was preparing. So I've done anything, I think, from 1066 stew that might have been eaten at the Battle of Hastings all the way up to World War One ration bread.
0: And so you have a variety of different experiences, so tell us how some of those changes challenges compared to trying to fix a modern meal for a family versus the olden ways. I mean, there's some of them are pretty obvious, but take us through them anyway. So people really get the challenges of just getting a meal in history times.
1: Yes. Yeah, so my family always laughs at me because I'm much better at cooking historically than I am on a modern stove. And <laughs> me too, if that means anything. <laughs> they're always like, you know how to cook over a fire, but you get confused with this stove. I'm like, yes, that's how this works. So I think some of the most interesting challenges especially when we're cooking historically, is what food would they actually have had and how would they have prepared it? Because nowadays we can go to the grocery store and get pretty much anything we want versus on the frontier in Georgia in the 1830s, you're going to maybe have a general store like
0: maybe 30, several hours away. 20, 30 away. miles away, yeah. Yes. And the thing we also don't have to worry about now is seasonal concerns, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Not everything's going to be in season all the time.
1: Nope. So you're going to have what you have because you hunted it you gathered it you farmed it and you had to either preserve it if it was winter you're going to dry it or smoke it or salt it and I think when we're preparing a meal a historical meal to think about all of those things to take into consideration what would they have had in this place what would they have had in this time what would they have even had in this season is something that we just take for granted and we have to really think about I think it was during the Battle of Hastings because I am not as good with my medieval evil food ways, since that's not a time (laughs) period we we generally do here in America, trying to figure out what would they have had pre-contact with the Americas? What would they have had just in Europe? They aren't going to have potatoes. They're not going to have pumpkins. They're not going to have a lot of things that we're used to because, well, first of all, we live in America, but we also live in a very interconnected global world where
0: we can get food from everywhere. You start questioning everything, right? Mm -hmm. Can I have a strawberry? Chickens are not New World products. right? They had, yeah, they had chickens. Okay. So you're kind of thinking things through in a way that you normally wouldn't. And you know, you, you brought up a really good point too. Today, our individual prep time when we're fixing a meal at home is a 15 minute drive to the grocery store Mm -hmm. there. When we show historic food prep, we're basically showing the last 10% of the process. We're not Mm -hmm. talking about the planting, the the harvesting, the the meat slaughtering and preservation and all those things that go into getting to the point of having something on a plate. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's so complex, and that's one of the things we interpret here. Is trying to, you know, we're not just saying here's a fire, here's some beef that we're boiling, you sort of have to talk about how we get to this point. And that's why I love doing dairy stuff with Mm -hmm. folks, right? Because the whole point of having butter and cheese and things like that is in effect to preserve milk that spoils if you leave it sitting out after about six hours. You're taking something that would normally spoil in a matter of hours into something that will last weeks, maybe months if you do it right. Mm
1: -hmm. And then also how do you preserve food? You don't have an icebox. Where am I supposed to put this? I'm trying to see kids' eyes get kind of like big And then also, like, yeah, where do you put that? How do you keep it safe to eat, to consume when you don't have? a refrigerator. Right. Spring houses and
0: cellars are so important. Uh, Just having a cool spot out of the sun becomes a crucial part of a homestead.
1: It does. And I also think, as you were saying, we're getting more into foodways. We're getting more into home life, which is one of my favorite parts of learning about history because for so long, home life is very much connected with women's history. And women's history being the primary caretaker of family and home for so, 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 Long is it, we're, we're finally getting to see more of what an everyday life for a woman would have been like in history. Both
0: you and I have done reenactment for a long Mm -hmm. time and let's face it, the root of reenactment is military stuff, Mm -hmm. right? And that means soldiers and things and women have sort of gotten, in the past, women have Mm -hmm. and their stories have sort of gotten pushed to the side because of that emphasis on soldiers and battle and things like that. But that's the great thing in the last, gosh, 25 years, people have really, and historic institutions and, and groups have really started focusing on showing a more complete view of the past. When that pulls the the domestic side in Mm -hmm. that really almost places the center of the story around the women folk Mm -hmm. right because they're as you say they're the ones who who are in charge of the food that we eat of the of the children as they're raised of everything that happens in a day-to-day sort of situation that's the women they're Mm -hmm. they're the sustainers it's the men you know men go off and do all the fighting (laughs) and the the, the hunting and the farming and things like that but women become the sustainers of their respective cultures and that's a remarkably important aspect to to show
1: Mm -hmm. we don't think about But there's also very much, you can see the hierarchy of society just and what they have on their table. And also, did they make it themselves? Did they have a servant make it? Did they have an enslaved person who cooks their food? It also... And what did
0: the enslaved person eat besides that stuff, right? It start
1: You start to see all the layers of society just wrapped up in food, in what people would eat, what people would consume, who makes it, how you cook it, even how you consume it. You know, are you at a lavish party? Are you just with your family? at a table are you do you even have a table are you right. uh you, you start to see all of these things and even with military you have hardtack right one of the most famous military rations yeah. of the american it's civil been around war. since ancient rome yeah, yeah. Uh, i always think i always associate it with american civil oh, war yeah. but i mean it's been around for so long you you start to see okay well, well what would this have person ate what have, would what have this person would have, would have eaten and it, it gives you a glimpse into their life and also it's something that we can experience ourselves we can also make it and eat it and have a little taste of history if right. you
0: will. And and people love that. And mm-hmm. and we love doing that. Too. I mean that God, that is such a good point. That's history you can eat at the Northeast yes. Georgia History Center. <laughs> Because it, it is, it's something so connected to to the basics of life. And yet, like you say, it is a it is a real connection that everyone can experience. You you know, and there are recipe books, again, going back to medieval Europe. And there are, you know, traditional, more oral tradition foodways from Native Americans and, and different cultures too. And it all passes down. And that's another way that foodways have sort of started looking at society and how different cultures and societies interact. Right, like mm-hmm. you said, potatoes and things are not old world products. Mm-hmm. their new world. Well, Even how, though
1: there's very much associated with Ireland. Right.
0: And how, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. How did a new world product become so crucial to Ireland that when things went bad with the crop there it almost collapsed the society and caused all the immigration to the new world and, and this cultural exchange you know collards and greens and cornbread and, and things like that. A lot of the traditional southern foods we have today that we think of as southerner are really sort of adaptive food of the enslaved that they sort of modified with some of the things they the knowledge they brought over from Africa and then the the poorer foodstuffs that are available to a, the lower classes of society today have become what we consider that those classic southern foods mm-hmm. okra I know a lot of people don't like okra I love it
1: I like fried okra
0: but yeah I like okra it's like that's not something a lot of rich people would have eaten back in the 1800s that's a that's that's peasant food that's lower class food so
1: not only with food do you have just the history of the food itself and how those people would have used it but you also have the social history of the food and as I was saying like who ate what? who made what and how you start to just not see the history of food itself but also the social history surrounding the food because food has always been a unifier people come together to share meals to eat and you start to even see that is this a social meal we also have traditional dishes like we'd even do today i'm thinking you know what does every person eat at thanksgiving in america we have a turkey yeah so you have those things of traditional meals they had traditional meals back then i mean forever people have had traditional meals of you eat this on this a certain occasion for this purpose and it gives you a look into someone's perhaps religious life with food and yeah it's just food it's in every aspect of our lives and therefore interpreting food in the food ways it gives you just such a depth of knowledge into someone's
0: very personal life and and even the prep too right cooking around a, an open fire mm-hmm. sometimes you know our visitors uh, it blows their minds cuz a yeah. lot of the younger ones who have never seen anyone kneel you know lean over at an open fire and cook they've seen the exact same meals often prepared on a stovetop mm-hmm. but to see it over over an open fire you know and, and and have them kind of participate in that there's i won't even get into that human sake going back tens of thousands of years connection with fire thing but there's that too right
1: the amount of time i have been ask is that real food? (laughs) while I'm cooking over a fire, not just by children, but also by adults is frightening.
0: Yes. They, I remember I had been here a couple of years and was doing this and was just frying eggs, mm-hmm. right? Just just frying egg. Again, like everyone does at home on a, on a modern stove. And I cracked the eggs and I, and I put it in the frying pan and these two kids were like, what are you doing? Are you going to eat that? You can't eat that. And I'm like, yeah, watch this. And I put it on the plate and I took a spoonful and one of them gasped and turned to their parent like, this man's about to die. We have to stop him, right? And-, and and, and it it's uh it's kind of funny but we also that's why we do this right yeah. T- to let people connect with with the way things happen with fast every culture no matter how far back no matter how widely separated on the globe has a central fire mm-hmm. no matter how different those cultures are no matter how widely separated they prepare meals over that fire like you say they they come together socially and communally and consume food that is a without question universal human experience mm-hmm. and the details of how that works Is is some of the nuance that we love to do. You know, you go from the upper classes where you sit at a table and you're like, which fork should I use?
2: Yes. (laughs) To
0: you know, another class of people that's like, well, we have two spoons in the house, we'll have to share it to eat this. Mm -hmm. You know, you you run the gamut of social, communal history, cultural history, material culture. Mm -hmm. Why, like you say, what, who cooks it? Why do they cook it over? What are the tools that they have? Uh, Large homes are going to have very fancy kitchens. Many homes, like you say, are going to be like an open fire outside behind the cabin, Mm -hmm. like you've worked with so
1: often and then that gives us a whole nother history where do you sit when you eat it (gasps) Because there are different societies that have different rules about who sits where and what position on the table means you're more important. Because in America, we have, you know, the heads of the table on the ends. That's usually where we would think the person of the most significance, the most important, is going to sit. Well, in England, it's the middle of the table. That's where the person of the most importance is going to sit. i rather sit in the middle of the table, personally, because that way you have...
0: That depends on who my company is. Oh, I guess that's fair. <laughs> yes, but, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, point taken. And
1: different, different types of tables. Do you have a tablecloth? How much silver do you have? Are you being served this food? Is it a buffet style? Like we are very, very prone to do down south. We like our buffets. <laughs> but how is it, How not just how it's prepared, but then you have the how is it served, which is just a whole nother social history phenomenon. Right, yeah, really. right.
0: <laughs> Who brings it in? Who gets to eat first? Mm-hmm. Right, things like that. So, so foodways are, a, like I said, a growth industry. We try to look at those here at the History Center. And quite honestly, I think, Marie, you feel this way too. We love to do these cooking demonstrations because we get to eat the stuff.
1: You do. <laughs> It's great. You work all day and then like you get to eat.
0: You, you get to eat the stuff. And, and sometimes that pays off. And sometimes you're like, wow, I messed that up.
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that recipe was new, wasn't it? Ooh, maybe they did not have sugar back then. Ooh, I don't think it's uh. supposed
0: to be that black.
2: <laughs> that <laughs> so, got burnt. <laughs>
0: oh, well, folks, we hope we have whetted your appetite for more <laughs> research and, and things to look into uh, on this. We'll give a, a shout out. if you want. There's a great YouTube website put out by Jamestown. For years, literally years, he has been doing episodes on YouTube looking at specifically uh, late 18th and early 19th century recipe books. And he has made, at this point, I think, about every type of food from that period under the sun and shown you how they made it and the tools they used it. And he also has a taste test. So give them them a look. It's a great resource. But so is the History Center. So we hope to continue having you listen to us. And if you're close by, uh, come visit us. We're open now. So until next time, me and Marie are saying... See you later.
2: Bye. Then again is a production of the Catrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. We also hope you'll join us for our free weekly live stream programs on Facebook Live and YouTube Live every week at 2 p.m. Eastern. Just search for the Northeast Georgia History Center and we'll pop right up. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THEN AGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of THEN AGAIN. Thanks, y'all.